0: Let me let me let me jump in. I I I think this. Sorry if people had other things, uh, but you know I'm I've got five pages as opposed to four this morning. Just trying to be considerate, considerate. This passage caused me. I started studying at least reading the passage earlier in the week, and started kind of just wrestling personally before thinking about what to offer you. And just fair warning, this this. I don't know what, it, what what God will do in you, but this passage caused me to share the gospel more times this week uh, with people than I have in years, 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 years. Um, and none of those stories went amazing. I don't have any this morning. They're like, this is totally transformative. I just felt I just felt at at the beginning of the week, kind of convicted and stirred to 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 share. And give people an opportunity to accept or reject Jesus. Some people I've been walking with for a long time and have never given that, them that opportunity. And by the end of the week, it was less out of kind of kind of conviction and more out of freedom. Um, you see, I think I think in it, just in the, the the chronology here that we're experiencing, I think part of what this passage communicates is that the the Holy Spirit doesn't just break in for the sake of consuming a supernatural experience but that the Holy Spirit intends to empower our proclamation. And not occasional proclamation of a safe and palatable message, but bold proclamation of an offensive message. You know, Irby mentioned it uh, 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 this morning that, that we're all up in the Pentecostal anthem right now. We have been for a few weeks. We're, we're just sitting in it. We're all up in it. Um, and and, these, these, some of the, it's, and this isn't just strictly what it means to be Pentecostal, but the Pentecostal movement was really trying to return to this moment, this foundation, and trying to burr the movement again from this foundation, from these moments, from these narratives. I was a, I was a part of a Pentecostal church for about two and a half years. What, what, what started that was, you know, early in my faith journey, when I surrendered my life to Jesus in college, for the first maybe two years of my life following Jesus, I was a part of what you, could, what you could call more cessationist communities. What that means is people that believe that the Spirit's work in the world ceased at a certain time. He doesn't, the Spirit of God doesn't really manifest that much anymore uh, because that stuff is unnecessary now because we have the Bible. So that's a, like a cessationist position. And I was around mostly communities and in influence that were, that were either actually theologically cessationist or... Um, weren't theologically cessationist, but we're practically cessationist. You know, we believe that, that this stuff happens. We just don't necessarily want to invite it because it, it gets weird. <laughs> so people who are like practically basically live that out. And I did that for two years. I was a part of those communities learning for two years. And then I just came across, I was living in Germany and I came across, I was super bored living in a hostel by myself. And I came across these documentaries about like the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. The, there was like a series of them. The first one was called Finger of God. Has anybody seen these? Like you know what I'm talking about. So so the first one was Finger of God, and then there's like another one called Father of Lights. And I started watching these documentaries, which were like it was from a guy who was a skeptic of this stuff, and he and he set out to make a documentary like wondering if they were real or not. And then he 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 kind of makes these documentaries. Uh, going around the world not just the country but around the world, uh, um, um, exploring supernatural activity uh, uh, from christians who who pro- profess to be like embodying and manifesting the power of the Holy Spirit, so I watched this thing and I was just like, What the deuce is all this? What is this why didn 't anybody think to tell me about this like all this stuff and so I just thought like I have to figure out. I have to figure out what this is, and if this is, so I just went crazy, and I started going to like all these conferences and classes and schools, and and like and just trying to get in and like discern all this stuff and learn. And that's how I ended up. I ended up starting to go to a, a Pentecostal church for two and a half years, and th- those two and a half years were, you know, back into college front, couple years of graduating college. And it was all really new for me at first, but I really, it, it, it was super meaningful for me. That, that, that tradition in my life, that lineage into my life, it was new for me. And I just loved like the openness, the, the just wide openness to like God do what you will. And we don't actually confound you to what you could or should do. We're just open to what you want to do at any time. It was really stretching for me. But a- after about two years, I started asking what were in that in that particular community, I started asking what were impermissible questions, uh, uh, questions that were not allowed. I started asking, like, why does the Spirit of God spontaneously show up at the same time in the service every single week? I understand he's, like, wanting to be sensitive to our schedules, maybe, Um, uh, but it just seems weird to me. Is there any other time? Uh, Do our do our plans change? Our order of service, does it ever change? And why does the Spirit of God only choose to speak through the same two or three people every week? Doesn't he, doesn't he, couldn't, he couldn't he speak through anybody? Everybody in the room? It's the, same, it's the same two or three people. Why does the Spirit of God only tell us positive and unlifting things? Doesn't he ever have something bad to say? I just feel like, like I'm, I feel like occasionally he wants to like maybe convict us of sin or Mention something, expose something going on in the community. I, I think that's something you might want to do. Why does the Spirit of God seem to only remember the same four to six verses of the Bible? I feel like He would know a lot of them. There's like a lot more. There's a lot more of them. And I just started being, you know, curious about that, and I, and I started wrestling, and at the same time... The older I got and the more engaged in ministry I got, I started, I started having more intentional conversation with my parents about their spiritual journey and their experience in churches. And there was a lot of stuff I didn't know, and I think I was 20 and I was on a drive with my dad, and I was just asking him about, like, experiences in church and, you know, the stuff that they'd gone through, and I didn't know, but he started telling me a story about how I had been healed when I was a baby, and I didn't really know the details around that story, and they... they they uh, had just started going to a church out in the country, like closer to where our our house was at the time, and I had some ear problem between the ages of one and two, um, where I had this like massive hole in my eardrum, and it was and the reason they found it is because I didn't start walking, I was like way late on walking, and I was holding on to things everywhere, and so they and then I was I I was crying a lot, and they found an ear infection, and then they realized I had this huge hole in my eardrum, it was throwing off my balance. And they had, I think they operated on it, and then it didn't work, and it was still, like, open, and it was getting a little bit more dangerous, and there was, like, potential that my hearing could be, like, damaged long-term, and they were getting a little bit scared about it. So they just went to this 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 church uh, that they were a part of, and they just were trying to do James 5. They were like, if you're sick, take go to the elders, be anointed with oil, and pray the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So they were, like, in the middle of a the service, they were like, hey, could we just... um. Pray for our son. He's just got this ear thing. Could the elders like anoint him? And they were like, "Yeah, totally." So they did that. And then I think that week, little one, two-year-old Lucas was supposed to go into like an appointment um, to maybe think about a new surgery. And my ear was sealed. It was like the eardrum was sealed shut. And the doctors were like, "We don't know what happened here, but he's good. Don't worry. Like we're we're fine." And my parents went back to the church, and they were like, "Hey, thanks." This was cool, this was good, guys. this was good he uh, 's good now. he was healed. He was healed, and uh, the church just went nuts. The church went nuts. They were like, "This is you know the, the best thing since sliced bread this is This is crazy and a year a year later, my parents actually left that church uh, out of you know um, n- not just out of their own best interest, but they, but they really believed out of the best interest of that church community. Uh, because the church was, had become completely obsessed with my healing, with remembering it, talking about it, trying to replicate it, referring it, only talking to them ever about it, referring to me as Miracle Baby, like a whole year later, still doing that. And my, just talking that out with my dad and talking with them about their discomfort about that and talking with them about what that, what that meant for them and why they were uncomfortable with it, it started to put words to my own feelings in the, the community that I was wrestling with and a part of. You see, the authentic work of the Spirit of God will cease if we become more enamored with the gifts and less surrendered to the will of the giver. Let me say that again the authentic work of the Spirit will cease. The authentic work. And then a whole bunch of stuff that starts happening that's not authentic. But the authentic work of the Spirit will cease if we become more enamored with the gift and less surrendered to the will of the giver. And this pattern has been the death of so many pop up revivals in history. So many that you can look at like my, micro or macro, like these, these major movements of the Spirit, this, these like miraculous outpouring in like a small community or like on a street somewhere, and there's like a bunch of like missionary momentum and movement at the beginning, but eventually like nations will start to try to, try to come in instead of going being pushed out to the lost and watching world, being emboldened with proclamation, powerful proclamation to attest to what they had seen. And what it means about the glory of Jesus, the worlds would try to converge on that place just to get a taste of it and try to stay there and sit there and shower under the gift. And guys, that, that pattern cuts against the revelation of the nature of the work of the Spirit in this Pentecostal text. What if the disciples would have said, this was, this was so amazing, I, I feel so filled up, I feel so encouraged by this, uh, I, I'm on such a spiritual high right now, let's hunker down and do it tomorrow. Maybe the tongues will come tomorrow again. Maybe the fire will come again tomorrow. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. Let's just stay here. But no, they, they said they said, Why are we hiding? Why are we hiding? Come what may to us, as risky as it is, we must tell the world that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. We must, we must, we must. Almost the involuntary charge is come what may to us, we must tell the world. We must tell the world what we know to be true. See, the involuntary fruit of an authentic counter with the Spirit of God is courageous, bold proclamation. And Peter leverages this powerful manifestation of the Spirit of God to attest to the glory of the Son of God. And even in that Joel 2 reference, there's there's evidence of universal, empowered proclamation. That the kids will prophesy. Your kids, your son, your daughter, your toddler, you put them in time out and they might come out with a word. They might come out with a word. It's universal, empowered proclamation. Your kids will prophesy. Your young will see visions. They'll be wise. And you should be open to the wisdom of your youth. And at the same time, your old will dream dreams. There's, there's no more, you know, crotchety pessimism, but there's like dreaming and, and invitation and joy and energy in the older generation. Idealism and hope and the servants and even women, they too will prophesy. This is the, the DNA of the ethic of mutual submission. We, it is what N.T. Wright calls the, the, the baptism of the Spirit is immediately the democratization of power in the church. Because in the past, we gave people power who, who displayed that they could deliver the Word of God. Prophets, kings, judges. But what if everyone has it? What if everyone is embedded with the Spirit of God? The whole world as you know it is turned upside down. And Peter realizes, like we talked about earlier, that this moment, this moment that we've just experienced and seen is the fulfilling of Joel 2. And he, and he turns to the crowd and starts to do that backward logic. That we're not, we're not drunk. We're not drunk. Some of you saying we're drunk. We heard that over here, over here. We heard some of you saying that we're drunk, but we're not. Guys, it's 9 in the morning. You know it. We know it. That's, and, and, and alcohol, I know nobody in here has ever drank, but alcohol, like... <laughs> does not elevate your intelligence. It d- diminishes said intelligence, right? Like like James is over here speaking German. That doesn't happen when you're drunk. This is not drunkenness. It's nine in the morning, and people are speaking all kinds of languages fluently. This is Joel 2. This is Joel 2 happening, and this is the fulfilling of prophecy. And if the Spirit has been poured out, that must mean we're in the last days. And if we're in the last days, that must mean the Messiah has come and the only global phenomenon that's happened recently is the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. And by the way, we saw, we saw him raised from the dead because death could not hold him. And we saw it, we witnessed it, and David prophesied it. And so what will you do? A line is drawn in the sand. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no other name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You ever seen those memes or like quote quotes around the internet or social media that say something like, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. You guys seen this? Guys, trying to share the gospel without words is like trying to build IKEA furniture without the instructions. You're just gonna get frustrated over time and end up hurting somebody in the end. And the salvation that, it, that, that you think it produces in a person will be just about as secure as a mom dresser without lock nuts. I promise you. That thing's going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart. The Spirit of God empowers you, me, us, as the priesthood of all, all believers. The Spirit of God empowers us to be heralds of good news. Do not let your life and your actions be self interpreted, proclaim. Use your words. Use your words that are inhabited with power. See, we are empowered by the Spirit to boldly proclaim. And He ministers to us in such profound and deep ways so that we would, we, we would actually be cut to the heart by Him before we invite the cutting of another. We are empowered by the Spirit to boldly proclaim the message And that message will either cut to the heart or it's going to cause offense. It's either going to cut to the heart or it'll cause offense. There's really no other response. And a message without the potential to offend is typically a message that has been diminished or cut to pieces. You see, guys, let's just be honest. This isn't a seeker-sensitive sermon. Can we agree? This isn't like a comfortable self-help, love, affirmative, lift up kind of sermon. That's not what this is. He says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. He's got four points. And point two is, you killed God. I did too. We killed God. And point four is, save yourself from this corrupt generation. You killed God and you people are corrupt. Save yourself. Save yourself. Mm, good preaching, good preaching. I feel very elevated by that. I feel very lifted up by that. Yet this possibility to offend is also a core work of the Spirit of God. And we don't have to interpret that from the text. That's not like a little bit loose. Jesus actually told us that. In John 16, when he's sitting with the disciples in the upper room, right before the Last Supper, he's, he's, he's talking with them. He's trying to prepare them for when he would leave. And 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 he and part of how he's preparing them is actually telling them about this future helper, this future counselor, this future advocate who is going to come later, and telling them a little bit about the Spirit of God who was to come. And in John 16, he says, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I go away. That's crazy. It's for your good that I go away. I've got to go, and it's best for you if I do that. Because unless I go away, the helper, the advocate Will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And what will he do? What will that helper do? What will that advocate do? When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit has come to bring conviction about sin and righteousness. And the Spirit has come to expose universal responsibility in the death of God and to expose the self-destructive tendencies of each generation. In other words, we need a Messiah to save us from eternal destruction, but we also need a Lord to deliver us from our current destruction. We need both. And this message is offensive, and it requires supernatural courage to deliver it. There's no way around this message not being offensive for some who would hear it. And that's why it requires supernatural courage and boldness to deliver it. You can't candy coat it, sugar coat it, paint it up, or buff it out. It's offensive. And those of you in the room, I just, the way I was wrestling with the text this this week and this morning, I felt like this morning I just had a word from the Lord for a pocket of you, okay? So those of you who lean toward more of like a slow relational ministry in the way that you do evangelism you're not street preaching you're not first time you meet somebody you just drop it on them but you just lean you just, just your natural flow is to be like relational slow wait for a good moment that's me that's me but if that's you in the room i think I, I i just felt like i had a word for you this morning those of you who are like i'll just go stand on a milk crate in the mall i'm good just take a minute we'll be right back i'll be right back just take a minute but those of you in the room who are slow, relational, I think sometimes when we're in that space, I think it's actually a good space. You know, people who do like bullhorn street preaching, there's actually nothing morally wrong about that. I'm just not sure quite how effective it is in our current culture, in our context. I think relational is, is, is maybe a little bit more effective in our time, which is, a, is a, like a missional choice. Uh, but I do think sometimes we are in that space and we find ourselves never actually sharing. A year in, two years in, three years in, four years in. And the opportunity just hasn't come quite yet. The moment hasn't come quite yet. They're not open quite yet. And I think sometimes we have motivations that, we, that we're, we're just afraid. Afraid that I might not do it right. Afraid that I'll ruin it. Uh, afraid that I'll hurt their feelings afraid that i don't know enough to do this well yet afraid that they're not ready or open yet a fear of rejection a fear of persecution a fear of the end of the relationship that i've poured so much into a person you actually care about and you don't want to hurt their feelings i just was wrestling with that this morning personally and just felt like i had a word for the for the community that In Luke Luke 10, when Jesus is sending the 72, he's sending them out two by two to cities to, to announce that the kingdom of God is near, to prepare the way for Jesus. And there's this little line in that text in Luke 10 that sometimes is breezed over, but I actually think it's really crucial to the text. I want you to receive it this morning if you feel like I'm talking to you. That whoever listens to you listens to me and whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. Why are you afraid? Why are you hesitant? Why do you think you're not qualified or equipped? It's not about you. I'm here. I'm with you. You can, guys, you can deliver like the the best, you can wait for like the perfect moment, the best moment, and deliver just an amazing gospel presentation. I mean, you knocked it out of the park, and nothing might happen. They, they might be super offended. They might slap you in the face and leave. They might. And also, you might, you might pick the worst moment, the worst possible moment to do it relationally, contextually, and deliver a terrible gospel presentation, and they might be cut to the heart because the heart is not your domain. And whoever listens to you doesn't actually listen to you. They listen to him. It's not actually about your words or waiting for the right moment or strategy or crafting. It's about him. And if they reject you, it's not about you. Feel free. Feel free. It's not about you. He's the one who stands there to be accepted or rejected. It's not you. It's not you. And you can feel the relief of having your identity or your worth or your value wrapped up in the ministry that you do. You can feel free of that. Free, 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 free. And then give people the opportunity to accept or reject Jesus as an act of love. And listen, I can tell you from personal experience, loads of personal experience, that if you preserve your own acceptance in certain relationships, your own view, your own perception in certain relationships, but you do so at the cost of never giving that person a real opportunity to accept or reject Jesus, you will regret it. You will regret it. And guys, I have mountains have mountains of relationships that I am now filled with regret because I was waiting and waiting and waiting for just the right moment, but I wasn't actually waiting for anything. I just didn't want to do it. I just wanted to be accepted by them and I didn't want to take the risk of being rejected. And now I feel the burden of not actually giving that person the opportunity to even accept or reject Jesus in the first place. Guys, don't make that, don't make that mistake. You, you will regret it later. Don't do it. But feel free to offer it. And that, that perfect moment that we're waiting for, when's it gonna come? What's it gonna look like? What was I waiting for? Was I waiting for my friends to come to me and say, I'm I'm looking for a Lord and Savior. I'm convicted of my sins. Do you know of any? Do you are you are there options? Are there options? Guys, that moment, that like pristine, like you just walk right into it, it's so rare. It's so rare. It's so rare. It's so rare and I can tell you three or four times when I finally got to a place with someone where I actually, I actually told them like, Hey, Hey, I actually want to share something with you about Jesus and, and my own personal walk. And I feel like, I feel like you're in a, in a, in a place right now where you're kind of in brokenness and, and he cares a whole lot about you. And he wants to deliver you from your own patterns that are getting you there and the people around you who are getting there. And the person would say to me, why didn't you tell me this six months ago? I've had three people tell me, why didn't you, why are we friends for six months and you're gonna hold this piece of yourself from me for six months? We're not friends. <laughs> what is this? So, so much of the fear we have in those moments is irrational. And I just want you to receive from the Lord this morning. Whoever listens to you listens to Him. There's no success here, there's no failure here. There's just faithfulness. And as an expression of love, give every single person a chance to call on the name of the Lord to be saved, come what may to you. And even if something terrible or crazy comes to you, guess what? Guess what? God has already prepared a promise for you just in those moments. Blessed are you if you're persecuted. Blessed are you if you're insulted or evil is spoken of you on, on behalf of Jesus because great is your award in heaven. He's already prepared a way for that moment. See, the Holy Spirit empowers bold proclamation of an offensive message. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Marcus can come up. As I close, I just, I, I, I'm always so gripped by the reaction of the crowd being cut to the heart. Those words, cut to the heart. See, the, the, maybe the last year I've had several conversations with a guy in this food court. I've had five or six conversations with a guy in this food court. Let's call him this morning Rob. And um, I eat at this food court way too often. I'm shaving years off the end of my life in this food court every week. Um, uh, I go to the same place. I get the same meal um, every single time. And when I'm in there, there's this guy occasionally that's walking around, and there's, there's a few of them, but one particularly, his name's Rob, and he'll always come up, he'll always ask for a couple quarters, and I'll always say, hey, I'm eating lunch for 30 minutes, do you want me to just buy you lunch and we can just sit and chat or something? And sometimes he takes me up on it, sometimes he says no thanks, and about five or six times he's taken me up on it, and we just have these, these great, you know, conversations that, that vary in, in how deep they can go based on, you know how much time he has, how much time I have. But it's like, it's like, it's like, well, you know, what's your story? How long have you been in Tampa? What's your? Tell me about your family. What do you do? Uh, you know, what 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 do you love? Where do you? You know, all this kind of stuff. And we just get into like stories and swapping stories and. <clears throat> and I've been doing it all along with like maybe I could build a friendship with this guy and maybe one day he might be open, to the gospel. Maybe he might be open to Jesus at some point. But the the interesting part about Rob is that every time I sit down with him, again, it's been five or six times now, every time I sit down with him, we have the exact same conversation. Like, same questions, same answers, same flow. And I can tell right off the bat that he does not remember who I am at all. Like, not even a little. And none of this, this whole conversation is brand new to him. And I've been like, I've decided to not ever ask, hey, we've, we've talked, you know me. I've just decided to be like, okay, well, just, you don't remember me and I'm not going to take offense to that. We'll just keep having this conversation. I'm sure you see lots of people. It's no problem. So we've had the same conversation like five or six people, five or six times. Well, uh, two weeks ago, I'm down at the mall management and we're talking about something else. And then at the end of our conversation, I just said, hey, um, there's this guy I talk to every once in a while up, up on the, by the food court. And I've had a conversation with him five or six times. He's really cool. And, but, but we, I don't know, it's kind of weird. We have like the same conversation every time. And they told me that he actually has like a memory disorder. Like some, some kind of short-term memory loss or something. And they're not quite sure what it is, but they just know that about him. And I immediately was like, and maybe you are too, how do you do effective ministry to someone with short-term memory loss? Think about that. Think about that. I mean, every way in which like a person like make, like makes a decision to follow Jesus grows in maturity, bears fruit of the Spirit, grows in their understanding of the Bible. You know, like learns about who they are and about who God is, and develops over time. All that shot. It's so shot. If you just have short-term like one-day memory loss, what do you do? What do you do? And to be honest with you, I kind of like. I was like, I'll keep talking with him, but I'm not, I'm not, I, I was like less motivated to share the gospel with him. It's like, I don't know how this is gonna, why, why do that? I don't know what's gonna what's going to work out here. Like he's not, he could make this like profound, like I need to follow Jesus. And then the next day he's like, what's your name again? What's your name? We talked, did we talk? I remember, did we? Totally lost. And I was just like, what do I do about this? Well, our staff team was eating lunch in here maybe two weeks ago, and we were just like, you know, maybe half of us were like gathered at the table, and I just put it out there. I was like, hey, what do you guys think about this? I told him the story, and I was like, I'm wrestling with this question. What do you guys think about this? And a few people were talking around the table, and eventually, eventually, Brian jumped in, and he said, guys, we can, we can hope in the spirit of regeneration. That the Spirit of God can actually regenerate a person regardless of their mental capacity or memory capacity. And guys, I was just even in that conversation, I was cut to the heart about how I've been doing ministry and even like do, with people and, and, and pursuing people just in terms of what they can cognitively understand. Like, that's enough. I've been preaching messages to the mind for so long, and yet the heart is untouched. You see, the crowd crowd was not cut to the mind by a persuasive argument. They were cut to the heart by the Spirit of God. This last week, I saw Rob on Thursday afternoon just by chance, and I just thought, here we go, let's do this, let's do this. And He sat down and, and it was in the afternoon. It wasn't even lunchtime, so I wasn't even eating. And I just said, "Hey, do you have a minute?" And we just like kind of talked for a little bit, and then I just started asking him about like his church experience and spiritual journey, and and he talked a little bit about that. And I just started I just started saying, "Man, uh, uh, the the leadership of Jesus in my life has totally changed my life. Like he he, what he saved me from, and how he continues saving me, and what he's saving me from in the future." And how that's working out by by delivering me from my destruction now, but I have hope in Him in the future. I just started talking all that out with him, and it was guys, it was terrible. It was so jumbled. I just had no idea what I was doing. You know, it's like like we because again, he doesn't know that we've had a pre-existing relationship. He just thinks this is the first conversation with Lucas, and I just kind of go there with him. And at the end, I, I was just saying like, hey, are you interested in following Jesus? And he said, you know, I, I'm not really interested in that Jesus stuff, but, but you know, thanks for sharing that with me. That was, you know, whatever. He was like really medium. It was like, I'm not interested. I'm a little creeped out, but thanks. Thanks. Thanks for that offer. We kept talking for like another 10, 15 minutes. And when he was leaving, I said, I said man, who knows? I didn't mean this a certain type of way. It sounds bad. I said, man, who knows? Maybe you'll be more open to Jesus next week. And he's not even self-aware of his own memory, his own memory crisis. And he just said, yeah, yeah, dude, maybe I will be. It just depends on how hungry I'll be. And what he meant by that was like, I, I want a meal and I'll do anything to get a meal or whatever. So he's cracking a joke. And I was like, ha ha, that's funny. But guys, right on, you're, you're so right you are so right depends on how hungry i'll be how desperate i'll be how broken i'll be it depends on whether or not my heart yearns to be cut by the master surgeon we can powerfully deliver a heart-cutting message only if only if our hearts have been cut first Cut not by the blade of a warrior with intent to harm us, but cut by the blade of a surgeon with intent to heal us. And as we come this morning to the table, we remember not just our calling to herald, be heralds of a heart cutting message, we remember that we were cut first by it. And we call others to grasp at the name of the Lord Jesus. Because we ourselves have found such transforming power and healing in that name and not any other. And so this morning, come and long, 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 guys, I want you to long for the Spirit of God to work, for the Spirit of God to show up, to break in in a way that's unexpected that you weren't prepared for, for the Spirit of God to break into your life and to our community, to invite whatever He wants to do, but invite, that, but, but invite Him, you know, carefully, knowing that what He intends to do in you and in us as a community should have the fruit of launching us forward fearlessly and boldly to proclaim and attest to the glory of Christ Jesus in the world. Because we're being filled by a spirit who so often leaves the 99 found in search of the one who is lost. On the night he was betrayed, he broke the bread. He said, this is my body, broken for you. And when you eat it, you eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, poured it out, Saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. And When you drink it, you drink it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, come. Come begging, yearning for a fresh empowerment of the Spirit of God. Knowing that Jesus already wants to do that in you. And then, and then leave this table filled by him toward bold proclamation to those you love. When you're ready, the body and blood of Jesus given for you,